and welcome to the Tacona Morning Drive podcast. This episode, I am joined by my friend Terry Putman, aka Illustrator Maker. He is an automotive artist that creates amazing pieces of artwork, especially of other people's cars, for them predominantly. Uh, he also created the Lego Kuntash artwork for me for the March 2022 t shirt and has had a very interesting and varied career leading him to this point. So we sat down to chat cars, chat artwork, and chat some mental health, which is uh, always a really nice one to include in these conversations. So, on with the podcast! I've hit record now. But that doesn't really mean anything in particular. We'll just chit chat like we normally would. Yep. Um, there will be a little bit of potential background noise as we have a puppy in the room, but that's okay. <laughs> that's part of the atmosphere, I think. Um, yeah, don't expect anything in terms of. I've not got like a notepad with questions or anything like that. It's just a an exercise in conversation to promote conversation and to kind of demonstrate how easy it is just to chat to people. Yeah. So, like, whether it's someone that I've known really a long time or whether it's, say, someone that's within the automotive world that I've never met before, it's just to demonstrate that it's easy just to talk to people if you put the effort in a bit. Um, and it's surprising what conversations come out of it with no expectation, which is another, like, a nice part to it. So, today, I'm joined by Terry Putman, I got that right. You did. I'm terrible with surnames. <laughs> um, also known as, is it Illustrator Maker or yes. Illustration Maker? Illustrator Maker. Illustrator Maker. Yeah. Um, I've just been taking photos of your escargot because I've parked around there. <laughs> um, who, well, you designed the Lamborghini Countach Lego T-shirt of the month. We did that together. Yeah. You do some amazing artwork. I'm sat next to a gigantic 356 piece that you've done. Uh, much higher standard than any of the art stuff that I do because you actually draw it and make it look like a thing I just do outlines and block colour because that's all I need to do a t-shirt exactly And but your newest t-shirt by the way with the lovely rainbow colours on the Porsche oh, yeah. absolutely amazing like my favourite piece you've done by a mile really I know that sounds Thank like you. cheesy now as we're sitting recording this stuff going oh I think you're brilliant <laughs> but honestly yeah that's yeah it's my favourite thing you've done definitely oh thank you I did the typical thing of when I was in school I didn't really have to study too much and therefore, as an adult, I have never had to put any real pressure on myself to meet deadlines. Yeah. And it's always one of those like, oh, crap, I need to get this done. So I locked myself in the room, in our, our little office room for 13 hours until there was a piece <laughs> of artwork at the end of it. Well, it's good, and, honestly. Yeah, it looks really good. It's honestly my favourite The problem piece. is when you say that, that just reinforces my bad behaviour. Like, oh, I, I did <laughs> so, a really good one, yeah, so I'll so therefore I'll do, do that again. next one. <laughs> Every time I need to get something done, I'll wait till the just very last the minute. Last minute. And then that forces the creativity out. Yeah, see, that seems familiar to me as well. I think very very similar of the whole at school was lucky enough to be intelligent enough to not need to really try. Yeah. But not intelligent enough to know that actually trying would be beneficial long term. Yeah. And yeah. just going, oh, I'm going to scrape through by not really trying, getting to where I need to get to. Never and then really just going, oh, yourself. never have to apply yourself. And then going, adult world going, ah, it doesn't quite work in the real world all the time like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and... My other half is the exact opposite in that she's always about three months early for deadlines. And she's always like, right, I've got something that I need to do. I'll get it done now 
and then I won't have this anxiety-inducing yeah. pressure at the end of Again, it. Again, that, that seems, yeah, my other half is very much the same. It's like, yeah, plan it months ahead. It's already done. I don't even have to worry about it, whereas yeah. I'm very much uh, the night before. Which is how we've ended up two days before Goodwood going, I oh, mean, we should get a Goodwood ticket. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you might be able to go and network there. Rather yeah, than just it might go, be beneficial to be there. Yeah, because yeah. normally I, when I've done Goodwood in the past, it's been my birthday present is a Goodwood ticket. And I'll go with my father-in-law and we'll go and just look at cars yep. and like, mooch around. And the last one that I did was pre-COVID, when I'd, my first ever Tacona t-shirt got printed the day before. Wow, okay. So I took it and very naively went, I'm going to wear this t-shirt and everybody's going to see it. And then everyone's going to go, oh, that's really cool, cool. I'll buy one. Yeah. No, that didn't happen at all. <laughs> and I think there's only about three of those t-shirts that exist. Really? Because it was very, very early, early into it all. Um, but that was the last good one I went to. Obviously, we had lockdown. And then... Two lock, two down. And then last year, I think, was when it kind of opened back up again. Yeah, I think last year was the first one, but it wasn't... It was, it was kind of a smaller than... It was kind of smaller than previous years, I think. It was Yeah, it was year. when they had that... You can have up to X amount of people if you're a registered trial venue when they were... That was it. It wasn't... Doing yeah, so all it was testing, trace yeah, and... Less capacity than normal kind of Yeah, thing. and everybody had to have tested two days prior and they had to yeah. have the app and this, that and the other. So this is the first year where it's kind of back to how it's supposed to be. And it's the first year where I'm going and, like, bumping elbows with people that I'll know from the industry. Yeah. Which is a weird one, having gone from the last one I was there, was completely like, God, what? Oh, my God, look at all these cars. To this year going and going, right, I know so-and-so will be there. I know they'll be there. Yeah. I know... And these are all people that previously go, oh my God, that's so-and-so. Yeah, that and you see like, from afar going, oh, wow, look yeah, at that. Yeah, yeah. Such like, and such, yeah. I'll, I'll use Henry as a, a reference point just because he's probably one of my most well-known connections, him and Alex Goy. Yeah. They'll pro- I know Henry's going to be there and I'll hopefully bump into him. And I think Alex will most likely be there. I'd, I'd be amazed if he's not. Yeah. It's his <laughs> brother. He's probably somewhere around the Morgan stand yeah. shouting about how good three-wheel cars are, which yeah. is entirely true. But it's one of those where previously I go, oh my God, it's, it's, it's Alex yeah. Goy. Oh my God, there's Henry Catchpole. And now we're like, morning, how's it going? Like, yeah. And it's such a weird thing to now be on the other side of that, which I'm guessing you're starting to get more of now as well. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's a bit weird because... Um, so I've never been to Goodwood. Oh, that would be funny. Which is nuts. Down. Yeah. Um, so being a car person, obviously Goodwood is like a rite of passage. It's one of those things that you need to go to. Um, and it's always been one of those things I've managed to catch on TV, on ITV4 or whatever it is, and see the stuff down there, um, but never actually managed to get to. Um, and I'd never even been to the site until like a month or so ago when I did Retro Weekenders down there. Yeah. When you were there as well. Um, and Which that was the first one I'd ever where been where the Festival of Speed is? No, the festival is kind of over the road, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. it's on the hill climb bit rather than on the actual on track. On the track, yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those things that I've always wanted to do and never done. And I think living close to Silverstone... I kind of got spoiled childhood-wise and growing up that it's half an hour drive to Silverstone and it always is. Yeah. And so I took it for granted. So I'd be at Silverstone half a dozen times a year at least and then and would visit other sort of circuits and stuff. But then in terms of other car things, never really went much further afield because I had plenty on my doorstep. Well, we're in kind of almost Formula car country. country exactly, like yeah. the AMG production. Did, did you, on the way here, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, there's some amazing roads to get here. Yeah, it's some really some nice. lovely roads, roads around here. <laughs> yeah, we, we, exactly. I think, I don't know, I, it's, it's weird to someone who's not local and now living local as well. It's kind of, yeah, I kind of see things in a slightly different perspective. It's like I take these things for granted. That, yeah. Yeah, Mercedes AMG are 
20 minutes away and mm. you know then over in Brackley the other four, you know and Pro Drive over in you know Banbury and stuff like that and yeah all of that kind of thing is not a million miles away well we're the other side of Northampton to you kind of yeah like we're the west side but we're we're both north but yeah it's 40 minutes to Bicester for us it's 20 minutes to Silverstone exactly it's yeah literally like that's the reason we moved here is that we're so central to everything that we need yeah it's only an hour to Caffey and Machine. Yep. It's only two and a half hours to Goodwood. Yeah. Which is surprisingly. Yeah. Like when I lived the first time I went to Goodwood, I got free tickets because my friend from school worked for I can't. It's one of the big Renault dealers, like the franchises. Right. And they did this. Um, it's like this open day at Wollerton Hall, which is Batman's house. Yep. From the Christopher Nolan series. And we went down, and they had this little competition where you, it was basically like a data gathering thing, but yeah. the, the prize was two tickets to Goodwood. Right. Okay. On the Thursday, which is the quieter, like press day. Press day sort of thing, is, yeah. If you're in the cold, the best day to go. Um, and I registered, and I gave my name, and it says, What car do you drive? And it's like, I've got a GTA 6. So I got a phone call, and it was like, Is this Lewis Warren? I was like, Yeah, yeah. He's like, You've got a GTA 6? I was like, Yeah, he's like, is it a black GT86? I was like, oh, that wasn't one of the questions on the form. I was like, it is. How do you know? He's like, oh, we went to school together. He was like one of my best mates in school. Oh, and we really? just kind of know as you grow, grow yeah, up just and you kind of drift part of it. And we moved away from the area and stuff. Um, so he was like one of my closest friends in the school. But as we'd grown up, we'd kind of, I'd moved away and he'd kind of, life gets in the way of these things. Yeah. So I'd not seen him for nigh on eight, nine years. Right. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. He went, oh, you've won the tickets, by the way. I was like, oh, I would kind of expect so after this point. So my first experience of Goodwood was a four-hour drive at four o'clock in the morning to get there for eight, crammed as much in as we could and still only saw half. Really? With one of my, my best mates and then back up again in the evening. Yeah. And it was mad. You just kind of get there and you're like, what is going on? This is, it's like... You know when you see like the Geneva Motor Show and there's that huge hall yeah. full of all the different car manufacturers? It's like you took that, times it by about three, and then added all the cars that you've ever wanted to see into the mix. In one place. Sort of thing. And it's yeah. all kind of in one place. And then there's every racing car you've ever wished to have seen <laughs> going up that hill. And all the mad other stuff that's now the, part of it, like the yeah. drift arena and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, it's it huge, is isn't it? like car yeah. mecca. Yeah. The the thing with it is, if you do two years on the trot, you'll see everything twice. Right. So if you're only going there to see the stuff that's there, yeah. Kind of every other year is the the better the way to do it. it. Right. Okay. Whereas if you're going there to mingle and connect, yeah, you just go. That's forty five quid for a ticket. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Which is a lot for a ticket, but you get a lot for your money. Yeah. And if you're doing it from a business perspective, it's a it's an easy one. Business to expense for networking and marketing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. Personally, would say get a ticket, jump in with me, and we'll go down together. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think just this will go out after this. It was all happened, by the way. So, (laughs) from the listener's perspective, me and Terry had a great time at Goodwood. It was amazing. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I think it's just one of those things. It's like, oh, I must do that. And a bit like there's certain other things that you sort of in the car industry or car world that I think you sort of need to do in like certain museums, like Gaydon or like Bewley and things like that. And I think. They're the things he's like, oh yeah, I know I must do that at some point, and you kind of never get around to doing it. Yeah, I've never been to Gaydon, that's on my list of ones to go to. Yeah, I think I probably my only first visit because again, it's not far from here at all. It was probably only 
two or three years ago, my first ever visit, mm. even though I've, you know, I've grew up around here and things like that, yeah. It's mad, isn't it? You kind of don't realise what's on your doorstep half the time. No, exactly. And you kind of, I don't know, if you're looking for things to do, you kind of look further afield than local. You're like, well, let's make a day make of it, it and, yeah, and make a road trip. Because yeah, that, the Great British Journey, I think it's called, it's all like, um, so like a motor museum, but it's full of like Austin princesses and uh, okay. Anglia. Oh, isn't that up Nottingham direction? It's in Ambergate. Which is in technically in Derbyshire, right? Which so, is sorry, all Derbyshire people to say it's near Nottingham. That's horrible. And yeah, the rivalry aside, Derbyshire like, is like the second or third biggest county in I know, the country. It is huge, which is isn't wild it, yeah. that everyone's like it's near Nottingham. It's like it's not though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's near Matlock. Is the one that everyone right. will go. Okay. To go to is Matlock. Every road sign in Derby can lead you to Matlock. <laughs> so if you if you know if you know where Matlock is in relation to where you need to be, yeah. Every road sign will take you to Matlock. Right, okay. <laughs> the, the difficulty is if you start, say, point A is like south, point B is kind of northeast, and Matlock is west, you'll go into Matlock to come back out come back again. Out again. <laughs> so you, that's of no help. But if you are lost in Derby or Derbyshire and you need to find your way out, all road signs take you to Matlock in the area because it is the tourist spot. So yeah. they all lead you there. Um, but it's near there, but it's actually 10 minutes from my dad's house. Oh, really? It's literally around the corner from where I grew up. Oh, okay. And I still haven't been. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Okay, year it, so now? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was last year, wasn't it? I think because I seem to remember getting things through, sort of emails through about like they were sort of doing advertising it as like come and drive what your dad drove kind of yeah. scenario kind of thing. So, yeah, stuff from the you know, 60s and 70s, lots yeah, of that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, the thing is, if I turn up in my Renault 5, I'm kind of like, I'm already there. Yeah, I'll fit in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad had a 205 GTI, so I don't know if they've got one of those. That's that's pretty cool, for, yeah. As a, as a car to have had, I think I tried when he sold that. I was only like five, <laughs> but that's how ingrained cars are. Yeah, from my like gr- growing up, was like I cried when he got rid of that two hundred five GTI, and then he bought a Celica, and it was a D reg Celica, so it was still the wedge oh, sort of eighties wedge, yeah. yeah, with the pop up lights, yeah. So I was immediately like happy, and then it just broke down. I, all the time. <laughs> well, anything with pop-up lights is good, yeah. especially from a child's point of view. Yeah, pop-up yeah. headlights are brilliant. The guy that bought my dad's 205 came in an XJ. Really? And I was like, can't you just swap him for that? <laughs> my dad's like, we can't swap the Peugeot for a Jaguar. Yeah. And now, arguably, they're the other way around. As I say, yeah, the, the 205 is probably far more desirable yeah. than the XJ. Um, I should probably ask the one question that I do ask everyone, as we're now 15 minutes in almost. <laughs> Chatting rubbish, yeah. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I am Terry Putman, or illustrator maker, um, and I draw cars and other stuff. Um, and yeah, I don't think I've seen any of your other stuff other than your cars. Yeah, it's kind of weird, really, because I think I've been doing this under Illustrator Maker for about a year now, mm. roughly. I think it was kind of May last year that I started, um, and it kind of was never started as a sort of let's do car drawing as a business type of thing at all. <laughs> N- really, wasn't intended like that. Um, it kind of started with, um, I drew the Alpha was the first drawing yeah. sort of that I did, the, the blue and red Alpha, which coincidentally is Rev's logo. So my naivety um, and short-term knowledge of the car world, hadn't got a clue who Rev's was, yeah. no idea that existed, never seen this red and blue Alpha before. Um, it was my dad's birthday coming up, um, I was doing some drawing practice because I'd just started doing my master's in illustration. So I was literally just practicing drawing. I was like, oh, I'll do dad a drawing for his birthday. Yeah. 
He's obsessed with Alf, as most men of his age are, and anybody in the car industry understands the sort of the Alpha connection. Um, and I, rather than drawing a, a just a plain red one, um, I found this lovely Julia that was blue and red, and I was like, "Wow, what an awesome colour combination!" Yeah. And it's like, "Well, I'll, I'll draw that." Drew that, tweeted about it, um, and it was the week that Chris Harris and Top Gear had driven the Alphaholics one. Yeah. So I tagged Chris Harris, says, this looks similar to your Alphaholics thing. That was it. He replied and retweeted it saying, this looks awesome. Then Illustrator Maker was born. (laughs) Literally like that. Um, I then had people asking me to send them copies of the drawing. I had a guy in Singapore, one guy in Sweden, like within like a few hours of this tweet going out, suddenly wanting copies of my drawing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa is this is a birthday present for my dad. This is not yeah, yeah. a business thing or anything. And I was like, okay, let me find out how much it costs to print and post it to you then you can have a copy of it. And yeah, it kind of just went from there. Amazing. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like, oh, I'll do some more cars then. If people seem to want them, I'll carry on drawing cars. Because it was always a thing that, you know, as I said, started my illustration master's wanted to go from being teaching full-time to eventually be illustrating full-time. Yeah, um, the biggest fly has just come in this room. It is, it's actually the size It of, might take the puppy with it. I think it could easily carry him, especially as he's sleeping for a change. <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, so it was, the illustration thing was going to be, I want to illustrate and eventually illustrate books. That was what I wanted to do, was right, be yeah. children's book illustration. Um, and the cars were just a thing that I was doing on, alongside my studies for just practice of drawing because I know cars inside out that's my bread and butter I could draw them with my eyes closed kind of yeah. thing because I've always been into cars I studied car design at Coventry University back in the day um, and so cars are second nature so that was just basically drawing practice and then that kind of went from there really yeah and people started wanting them and then I was like oh I'm kind of enjoying drawing these cars so maybe I should lean, do into, a bit, it. lean into it a bit more and as I'm enjoying doing it so rather than just doing it as a bit of drawing practice, it then became my sort of escapism, a way of dealing with mental health issues, not necessarily issues, but just a way to sort of just zone out. And because I found it sort of second nature to do the car stuff, I could literally just stick my headphones in and yeah. zone out for a few hours and the world had just passed me by and I wouldn't yeah, have yeah. a clue what was going on outside sort of thing. So it was almost meditative at, at certain points. It's kind of like um, mindfulness, isn't it? Exactly. How they do those colouring books and things like that. Yeah. For it. it's, it's You're so focused on that, that one task, you're just completely unaware of what else is going on around you. Yeah. Um, Which is a, a real blessing and a real curse. Yes. Because you are therefore, <laughs> in your own little world, non-contactable to the world for exactly the best part of 12 hours, whatever, yeah. it, whatever it is. And that's it. And then when you've got the real world going on outside, you know, partners, children, house work needs doing all the rest of it yeah. it's you kind of you know, have to snap back out of it and get back into the real world so but yeah that's kind of how the illustrator maker thing came around which is why the name has nothing to do with cars yeah yeah at but it, all. it has a lot to do with what you do so it works <laughs> yeah and the maker everyone's like what's the making thing so well I, the name came up before i started drawing cars and it was just somewhere for me to do my illustration work but so previous to that so my teaching stuff was uh i was a design technology teacher right so it's all woodwork, metalwork, graphics, and a bit of art. So I like getting my hands dirty and making things as well. So it was always that the intention to be any sort of business or self-employment would involve some sort of hands-on yeah, yeah. crafting as well as the sort of drawing aspect of it. So that's where the maker thing came in. Um, although that has kind of taken the back seat have you got, for a while. 
the tools and things to pick something like that back up and incorporate it. Yeah. Because I know growing up, my dad had a lathe and a milling machine and a like a plane and all that. But yeah. he was doing, like him and my granddad used to make four poster beds. Wow, okay. Like they yeah. were doing that kind of stuff yeah. rather than the more intricate kind of bits. But it would be very easy for you to transfer some of this in a, not in the same vein, but in a similar way to how um, Johnny Ambrose does his car stuff. Exactly, yeah. Into so his is all skeletal like kind of stuff. Printed is, and stuff like that. But yeah. you could very much do a sculpture based. And that's it, I think. Yeah, the next sort of thing, I think that as the car thing seems to be going all right, that I want to push more into the sort of mixed media. So rather than it just being digital, then having certain bits printed onto timber. And I've been playing around with bits of timber that I've had stuff printed onto before. Yeah. Um, And then layering them. That's it. Yeah. Didn't you? So I think that's yeah a logical next step for me is to incorporate more of that some stuff quite easily as well. And that's so I used to run my own laser cutting business as well a few years ago. Yeah. So. A laser cutting, a bit, to me, is a bit like drawing. It's sort of second nature. Sort yeah. of, and especially having taught it through schools, it's, yeah, it's easy enough to do. So, um, unfortunately, I did sell my laser cutter a few years ago. But it's easy enough to get hold of a small, cheaper one again to sort of play with. But that's definitely something that I'd be... One of the difficulties I've heard about laser cutting is the materials, depending on which one you have, you can only cut into the metal or wood. Like, yeah. Um, Grace's uncle has a laser cutter and I'm like oh could you in, in, like engrave and stuff he's like no it cuts straight through wood yep. it has to be metal otherwise it would just go through it and he's like yep. it'll go through your hand I was like okay I won't put my hand near yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's it so there's there's basically two types of laser yeah one for metal work and one for woodwork mm. they use a complete as much as they're both called a laser they work in very very different ways the frequency they work at so yeah, yeah it was it's woodwork um, laser work that I used to do um, but yeah then you can the, I don't know, it's quite nice to sort of play with that because you, you've got so much control over the laser itself that you can be extremely detailed or you can be really sort of like ham-fisted with it and cut through great big chunks of wood if you need to or you can do really tiny, delicate little things, you know, less than a millimetre thick sort of like engraving and stuff. It's so brilliant, isn't it? It's and such a clever bit of kit. grown throughout the years. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's the cost has come down to it's, it's something that you can buy for. You can, you, know, you can buy one that's sort of... A3 size for less than a thousand pounds easily, sort of things, you know, a few hundred quid, yeah, similar sort of price to a to a decent 3D printer, it's which mad, is mad, yeah, really mad, <laughs> yeah. Um, but not to detract and sidetrack us off from the car, the Sorry, stuff that you yeah. do, like, you've just now gone into the technicalities yeah. of laser cutters. That's, that's how, in all fairness, that's how conversations go, and I. I like that these conversations are in that kind of unstructured format so that these things can happen, like, um. When Mike and I were doing one every week, when I lived within three minutes walking distance from him, yeah, that's basically what we would do. We'd go right. We've got a rough couple of points that are car related, yeah. But this is going to be an hour and a half of two blokes just, just, just chatting, chatting. <laughs> <laughs> and it'd go off onto all sorts of different tangents. And I think we had about eight people listen. To them. <laughs> It's like, and one of them was a friend of ours. It's like, for Jared and the other seven of you, thank you for putting up with this shit for as long as you have. Whereas the, the these morning drive ones are a little bit more focused, and because it's not me and my best mate that we have just we can just talk about anything because there isn't that like getting to know you as such part of it. Yeah. Which anyone listening to this will realise that this is a little bit more like that because I do know you. <laughs> yes. Rather than uh, right, it's time to learn who you are as a person. Yeah. Like I, the one that I did yesterday was an hour and a half of me going. That was cool. 
this is cool. How do you do that? Do you do oh that? my yeah. God, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because it was someone that does things that I can only dream of doing. Um, and said person has driven the Porsche GT1, the CLK GTR, and the McLaren F1 GTR long all in wow. the same day whoa what a day yeah and I was asking about it it was, it was like it's a very stressful day <laughs> those opportunities don't come about twice no and we got I think they were doing Millbrook's hill circuit and their alpine circuit yeah. which looks like like the Welsh countryside yeah I, was like, I didn't realise that wasn't a road he's like yeah that's a Millbrook yeah um, he's like we had three laps in each car to get wow. all of the footage that we needed that's to do that's not a lot at all is it no so it was he was like the only time that I wasn't focused on work was after we'd done all that and they were doing tracking shots with a photographer yeah he's like i got to just drive these cars just to drive them like yes there was a camera in that but that was they were focusing on the car not me so i could just enjoy being in it and he was like yeah that one's a a memory that will stick i was like i'm so jealous yeah that's just nuts (laughs) like just driving a gt1 with a clk gtr there and an f1 gtr there it's just just insane yeah so those that was a are very much more like how did that happen yeah. what's that <laughs> oh my god I'm so jealous of you all the time rather than that I know who you are we often spend time around each other and this is more of a a nice chance to, to catch up and to chat and yeah. to hopefully share a bit more about what you do and where it's come from and what you're planning on doing and that leads me into my next question how did you end up with an S cargo <laughs> well the, the simple answer is because I wanted one um, and it was a case of uh, my Focus ST had just split its block. Oof, um, that's good going. You, you say that, but actually they're quite renowned for it. Oh, right. Um, yeah, the, the, the ST engine is not particularly strong and not particularly well built, so one of the first mods that people do to it is called a, a block mod where they basically put some extra strengthening into the block so if you take the head off and then you can strengthen it that way um, I had no reason to take the head off of mine so I hadn't done it but then found out the hard way that it broke that it broke um, and it just wasn't viable to then pump more money into a car that's 20 years old already kind of thing it'd done yeah. 120,000 miles that's good going to be fair exactly yeah and it and it was one of those cars it did everything I needed it to do it's plenty big enough for me and the kids and it put a smile on the face every time I put my foot down kind of thing. And it, the, the five-pot just sounded brilliant. And I think it's one of those engines that just, yeah, it gets into you. It's just, it was great. But of, So from that, it was kind of like, well, I need still some daily transport. But I'd been sort of on the back of my mind thinking about getting some sort of van or commercial vehicle for taking to the shows and lugging all my kit around rather than filling the Focus and seats down and roof boxes and all the rest of it, yeah. which had just as my sort of the more shows I've done the more stuff I seem to I'm getting close to needing something bigger than the 86 which is annoying because that car ticks all the boxes so well yeah Um, so it's it's one of those where you either have to be more efficient with what you take yeah or you have to get something Something bigger or different yeah funnily enough the Renault is got more internal space really if it is needed I can fill that (laughs) <laughs> with the mo- which I'm going to have to do next month actually which I need to sort out um, but yeah I know exactly what you mean and it's just one of those things that it then became okay so I need something let's get a commercial vehicle I didn't have much money to throw at it and it was kind of like right let's look what I can get so I had like a budget of like three grand and it was kind of like okay for three grand I could get a transit that's done 
moon mileage, you know, yeah. 250k or something like it, you know, which, you know, parts are readily available, but still it's done that sort of mileage, so it's going to need some looking after or whatever. Yeah. Or I look a bit further afield and sort of see what else is about. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing. The S-Cargo, I first saw one in the flesh probably about 15 or 16 years ago, sort of mid-2000s, I reckon. Mm. Um, in Cardiff, there was a guy who was running a hotel in Cardiff, and he had one, and he used it as his like laundry vehicle to take it to and from laundry. And I happened to get chatting to him. It's like, what on earth is that? And he's like, oh, this is an escargo. And I was like, oh, the little thing. Yeah, you know, you said it. I do remember those little things that were drawn in Japan in the early nineties. Like, never seen one before. And it's one like, of the it's either Magneto or Road Rat in a relatively recent issue goes through the history of them all. Oh really? And the Figaro and the, the B one and the yeah, Pow. Yeah. All of it goes through how they came about. Oh, it's brilliant. It's a great story. And if you're into that sort of thing, a quirky Japanese K car kind of thing, then yeah. And me, I've always had I don't know, I've always been a bit sort of slightly left field in my choices of vehicles and things like that and I think it just sort of suits me. It's like, well, do I get an old VW caddy or an old transit van and put a badge on the side of it or do I get something quirky? Yeah, yeah. And it was kinda of like, well actually I've always quite liked the S-Cargo. This one came up. It needed some work doing to it, but I thought for three grand, it's... It's different, it's, and it gets noticed, and it gets... Exactly. It ticks a lot more boxes than a Transit would for the same sort of money. Yeah, yeah, and you'll have the same effect that I get in the Renault, like on the motorway, where people will look at it. And yeah. They won't look at it because it's sign written. They'll look at it because of what it is. And exactly. And they'll see what the stickers are. Yeah, the side. amount of, like, even, you know, parked just outside my house here, it's, I'm near a school... The amount of times, if I'm out there any time that there's any children out, the kids want to come and see it, they want to come and sit in it, ask yeah. me what it is and that sort of thing. And it's great. I'm you know, more than happy for people to come and do that. It's, you know, more people are enthusiastic about weird, quirky Japanese cars than the better. So oh, it's, it's one of the joys of the car world, isn't it? It is, yeah. It can ignite those little sparks in people. Like, because that S-Cargo will undoubtedly be, in 20 years, the why are you into cars car. Exactly. Oh, that guy yeah. near me had one. Had one of them, yeah. And I loved it, and now I love cars, yeah. and I love quirky cars and things like that. Yeah. Um, it's one of those kind of things. Like, I imagine my little Renault's probably done that for a couple of kids. Or exactly, yeah. I, had a, I was going into the Duke of London a few couple of months ago. Yeah. Sat at satellites, little kid with his mum pointing at the... I was in the 86. Yeah. And obviously, he's got a moustache on the front, and it's all stick Stick it up, up yeah. And this little kid's pointing at it, so I gave it a little bit of a rev, and I saw his his face light up. So when the lights changed, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and his mum looked at me like, "What a knobhead!" But this little boy was so, so happy, excited. yeah, big yeah. grin on his face. Yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, like it's you kind of have to do these things because you are that person for someone else." There. Exactly. If, yeah. If you had an experience when you were a kid, seeing a cool car or being yeah. near something exciting, yeah. If that person was nice and engaged with your excitement, yep. it creates these positive experiences that exactly. become part of who you are. If I had been a knobhead about it, that I mean, it's not like I went, go, don't touch my car. It's not that kind of thing. But yep. it, it's one of those, if you can, you should, because it hurts nobody. Exactly, yeah. Um, and it's, it's something, I don't know, it's weird, it's weird. Some people get it and some people don't. It's like... Um, my wife was like, oh, why are you chatting to that guy over there? So, well, he came and asked me about the car. I was like, really? Was like, yeah, I was just getting something out of the boot and he came and asked me about this cargo. So I was standing there for half an hour chatting to him. Yeah. Just because he was interested in what it was. And everyone's got some sort of car story to go with it. Mm. Like, whether they're into cars or not, 
everyone's got a connection because of you know it's, it's transport and it's your childhood and it's nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. And this this guy, yeah, he's you know elderly guy, he must be mid eighties, I'd say. He's so oh, I've never seen that before. It's like oh yeah, back in the day I used to run a Mark II Escort. No, nice. that was my thing. And it's like and it's like I, I kept it till till it was probably thirty years old and 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 then gave it to my son and stuff like that. And it's like well that chat happened because I was getting something out of the boot. Yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? And they just happened to see. It's it's mad. Um, and since I've seen him down the street and said hello to each other and stuff, you know, I wouldn't have had that opportunity or that connection with people yeah. without that, you know, the stupid little snail van that sits out on the road. But that, that's, that's the kind of the reason that Tacoma exists in the car world is to use those connections. Like, it's acknowledging that that's what it does. Yeah. And time and time again, that's where friendships have started. It's where positive memories have come from. It's how people get away from the world for an hour is to go for a drive. Like there's so yeah. many good things that people that don't get involved in the car world or don't care about cars don't understand or at least don't know about. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important that conversations happen that talk about that side of the car world because we are a, at a point where it's going to become a dying market. Very so much become, so, yeah. The enthusiast cars will die off brands won't be investing in that world and cars seem to be leaning towards just being a form of transport again yeah rather than having any sort of character although there are some people making characterful cars for the future but not within a price range that i'm going to be in anytime soon no and i think that's the danger isn't it the certain the certainly the current sort of market obviously New car prices are crazy anyway for, for the average person to be able to afford a new car, whether it's electric or not. Um, well, the Honda City E is a 35 grand car. Which is nuts, because I love the look of it. Yeah. I absolutely think it's great. And I think the you know youth of today, people who you want to be interested in that kind of size car, Yeah. there's no way they're ever going to have 35k to spend on a brand new car. No, it's like that Citroen Ami thing yeah. that's just come out. They're like, oh, it's 20 quid a month. Yeah. Yeah, if you put three grand down and then pay six grand at the end. The end, yeah, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> the, and the, I really like the Ami. I think it's, it's it's cool, it's very niche, and I think they should. it would be, it would solve a lot of problems in terms of entry level to electric motoring if they'd magically made a sort of, you know, a four seat version of it. If it was big enough to sort yeah. of get four people in it, just stretched it a bit, but the same sort of premise I think is really cool. So I saw that in the flesh last summer. I think it was at Carfest or somewhere like that, and I had I my girls with me. British Motor Show. Was it one at the Motor Show? Yeah, like tucked in the middle. Oh, maybe there was. Yeah, because that was my first show. Was the British Motor Show last year? It was the first event I did. Was oh, the British was Motor Show? I was yeah. there. Were you? Yeah. So we Probably didn't. Probably the other end of the hall. Yeah. That was the first. That was my first ever event. Were you inside or outside? Inside. We had like a. There was like a group of us artists. There was a little sort of car artist sort of base. We were near. Were you near? We near the stage. Yeah, I was on the other side of that to you. Were you? So I was, there was Volkswagen in between me and the stage. Right. And then we were near Brookspeed Porsche. Okay. We had that green yeah. GT car. So what would happen is people would come down the long side thing. Yeah. See that Porsche go round that, see all the artwork, see the stage, and then there was something back on my side further along. Right. So we were effectively in a dead spot because <laughs> so sort of everything around you. that people wanted to see went round where I was until the Saturday 
where I'd very kindly spoke to Brookspeed Porsche over the past two days, and they said, well, we've got enough space that we could squeeze ours in a bit, and you can get your car in. So then the 86 was inside, right? and then it started drawing people past me. But, uh, yeah, I must have been 50 yards away. Yeah, not, wow, okay. I don't know, we, we had, probably hadn't even spoken then, had we? No, I don't, I don't think, think so. No. Um, no. Yeah, because that, that, so that was my first event, and that was, there was me, uh, Ian Cook, and uh, Juliet Marsh. We were the sort of three artists. In the centre. In the sort of centre bit near the stage, yeah. And Juliet, I think I do remember seeing your stand, because you were next to Ian's. That's right, I yeah. I think I did see that. Because um, you had the yellow Aston Martin as That's your... right, as my background bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was yeah, literally my first stand. And first time I met Ian, first time I met Juliet as well. And she was painting on a Jaguar X-Type. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That seemed like a bizarre... I didn't really know what was going on with that. Yeah, I, I, I think the premise was it was then being auctioned off later on in the year for a children's charity, I believe. Because right. was, she was painting it all up like a sort of Thunderbird sort of homage thing right, okay. all over it. So she um, just poured green paint over it. Well, it's, it was mad. The amount of paint she put on that is just crazy. And the amount of hours she spent doing it is just nuts. Like, it, yeah. Because she was, I think day one, she was doing a big Ayrton Senna portrait picture, which yeah. looked awesome. Uh, and then she was doing this, the the, the Jag afterwards. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if I ever sort of found out what that, Went to. I know it was meant. It was meant to be auctioned off at some point, but I'm not sure what happened. I think to it was a, a young lass, a, a Eastern European girl, doing something as well. Yes, they had this little like go kart looking thing. That's right. Yeah, because she was originally there as an artist. Oh right. And had then kind of changed her mind. She, I think, she'd just graduated in engineering or something along those lines. And her and her dad and her boyfriend, I think, were this little sort of like electric go-kart kind of startup thing right. that they were trying to get. And it, I think it was something to do with that they were trying to get it into universities as like a for, for student Formula One kind of, that kind of thing to get people involved, young engineers involved in that kind of right. thing. It was we what do. she was trying to do. But she'd used her, because she'd come as an artist, she'd decided to use her space that she'd already got to as a sort that. of promote that instead. Yeah, right. That was a, an interesting event. Are you yeah. going back this year? I'm still undecided. I don't think I am. Because the people that run it, I've tried to talk to and get it sorted, and I'm just hitting almost walls, mm. which is... it. The impression I got was that it was very much how much money can we make was the real focus. Yeah. And it, as much as I appreciate that that's what it's for and that's why Cinch are involved and this, that and the other, Yeah, there's a certain amount of human connection that's being lost through it yeah and i don't think it's got the geneva motor show that they want it to be to justify that yet no i think it's very much still growing and i think they've got quite big ideas for it mm. which is good but i think that the sort of how the the method of getting there maybe is not quite well, where it, needs it to doesn't be. fit in with my style and because i run this business i can treat it as i want and i can tell people no thank you yeah I'll, I don't do this full time. I don't have the pressures of that yet, so I've still got the freedom to be picky. Picky, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I initially when I finished the event last year, they said, "Oh, do you want to come back next year?" And I was like, "Yes, it's good. This has been a good first event for me, kind of thing, mm. um, to get sort of people out there and know what I do." Um, and I still get people contact me now that saw me there last year and stuff like that. So, like, long term wise, that that really really works. But they've changed some of the people who I was in contact with last team don't seem to be there anymore, and the sort of sales team that they've got seems to have changed. Um, 
much less people focused and much more like, well, this is the space you've got. This is how much it costs. This is how much it costs. Do yeah. you want it or not? And basically what it seems to be is the the cost of the space is the same as I had last year. But the amount of space I've got is about half. Right. I'm like, wow. It wasn't cheap. Like, no, it wasn't a cheap event. And as my first event, it was kind of like a real sort of leap of faith for me. It's like, okay, this is going to cost me a lot of money. I need to justify this. Yeah. And, you know, I well, did... I said that to because I was very fortunate in that they had a fair few empty spaces. Yeah. And I'd said from the get-go, I was like, I can't afford to. Thank you for your inquiry, but I can't. It was like 450 quid or something. Yeah. And that was for the smallest that they did. I said, yeah. I appreciate it, but no, thank you. So I was very fortunate they said, well, because of the mental health stuff and what you represent, we can kind of give you that space for free yeah. as a last-minute filler. Yeah. Um, I said, that's great. Thank you very much. I'll make arrangements so that I can be there. And on yeah. the, I think it was on like the Saturday night, something happened that I needed to go to Goodwood for the next day. It was like a, a young guy with cancer who's been a guest on the podcast. Right. It was a thing for him. And it was a really important thing. Yeah. And it was like, uh, actually, I need to go to that. Yeah. So I said, I'm really sorry. I've got a personal thing that I need to go to. And they said, has this been your plan all along to leave a day early? I was like, right, that gives me a real indication of you as a character. If that, if you're going to, if I say I've got a personal thing that I need to go to. Yeah. And your response is uh, an accusatory, well, has this been your plan? Do I really want to engage with this? Yeah, that's not. And then, um, I started up the conversation this year and said, oh, I think I'd be better placed outside as like a club yeah, with a, my own gazebo and a couple of cars yeah. to represent the community. Yeah, And I sent that to one of the like the, the top people and I got, you'll need to speak with the sales guy. So yeah. I then messaged him and said, I think this would be better suited. And he was like, do you want to buy a stand? Ignored what I said. I said, I'm not going to be in funny. But had it not been for your generosity last year, I wouldn't have covered the cost of being there. Yeah. I don't think that suits what I'm doing. I think this would suit better. I didn't get a reply. Mm. So I'm I'm now of the opinion, like, right, okay, stuff it. Yeah. I'll do it my own way and I'll do things how I want to do things. And if this isn't enjoyable, then I don't want to be doing it. No, it's simple as that. Yeah. So I'm going to do the things that I enjoy. Yeah. And hopefully that will grow substantially enough for me to do that full time. Yeah. Um, this isn't a, just a bitching contest about the bloody British Photo <laughs> Show. It was a good... I met some interesting people. I made some interesting connections. Sold a few T-shirts and some hoodies and gave out a shit ton of flyers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting the difference in the types of events that we get yeah. involved with and attend and things like that. Yeah, I think last year... The, 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 that motor show, my first one, was, a, was, was good because it was... In terms of it was big mm. for, for little old me... Um, I was next to Ian and Juliet, who both have done stuff before. Especially, obviously, Ian does like a thousand events a day. Every single day, is it something? Else, yeah, he's the busiest man ever, but also the nicest man as well. So that was the first time I ever met him. Um, and again, because I hadn't been in the car world or whatever, was unaware of him. I have no idea how I was unaware of him, but was <laughs> unaware of him. Um, and his mum and dad were both there as well that weekend. And it was just me. I'd gone down and just booked a hotel and it was just me on my own. And they took me under their wing and treated me like another member of the family. Like oh, the, the Cook family were absolutely amazing to me. Like took me out for dinner at night, met me up in the hotel and stuff like that. Like they were absolutely fantastic. So that was, I think, and it had been my first event and got that sort of welcome 
from good start. Right? It was yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. I was like, wow, okay, this is yeah, like, this felt good. It felt good to be there and and through Ian as well, he got me my next show, which was literally a week later. He had to pull out last minute and couldn't do it. Was that so, up at the motorist? No, that was at, uh, at Carfest. So oh, he was meant right. to be doing Carfest, but had basically double booked doing some event for Daft Trucks or something. I think it was Daft or one of the big truck manufacturers. He'd double booked them, so then couldn't do Carfest. So it basically recommended me to them yeah. to fill his space. So I then did Carfest. I think Carfest is really expensive. It really can be, yeah. Because I had a look for this year. And it was like a grand. Yeah. I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. But then Carfest for me was good. So I, again, had no idea what to do. I was literally in the middle of a field, in a lifestyle field. So I'm next to Jules selling, you know, wellies and mm. Bowden and all those sort of like lifestyle brands. And there's me drawing cars. It's a bit <laughs> weird. Um, but I think there was a lack of sort of car-related stuff going on as much as it's called Carfest off the track there wasn't a lot of car things so I think people then saw that I was doing car related stuff which really helped so and again I'm still getting people in contact with me now that saw yeah, me at yeah. Carfest. So I guess from your perspective there's kind of two sides to your, you being at events there's the stuff that you can take and sell print yeah. and things like that but then I imagine the real thing for you is getting those commissions come yeah. through for bespoke. Yeah completely the, the the prints there are almost like there is like the pocket money things you know they're relatively low cost yeah. that the kids who have got some spending money for the weekend their festival weekend or whatever will come and they can buy some stickers or a mug or yeah, a yeah. small print for their bedroom wall and that kind of thing which is cool um but yeah the main thing is to get people to want to commission me because that's obviously where you know how i can it's then earn you, some money really, isn't it? yeah um and yeah it, it's like i think a commission i did only as long ago as like last month originally came from carfest which was last august so yeah. you know that's I've good. technically got a bespoke page on the site. It's almost hidden. Okay. Because it's so time-consuming. Yeah. Um, and I think I've had one or two people say, I'd like a print, which is nice. It's, it's yeah. really nice. Um, but I've always kind of been like, oh, sure, I, do I push that more? And yeah. then I'm kind of like, well, actually, do I have the time to push that more? Yeah. Because I literally got a text from someone that we were going to do a collaborative thing together. And this was two months ago, and I just haven't had any time to sit and do that. Yeah. And I'm like, now I feel really guilty. I'm like, imagine if someone was like, here's £150 to draw me something. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. two months later, two months I'm like, later I'm still, I still, like, sat I still haven't started it yet. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a thing as well, because, you know, I, I want to be doing this full time, and I have technically been full time on it since September. You know, and so I need to make, make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, and it's about working out what you can charge somebody without it sounding silly but also without undervaluing yeah what you do and i think i don't know i think in the creative industry we're all pretty guilty of undervaluing what we actually do and undercharging certainly to start with yeah because yeah. it sounds a lot of money when you when you sort of add up the hours you spend on a drawing and then charge out an hourly rate and you work out what that should be and like oh, that, that sounds like a hell of a lot of money and it isn't a small be, purchase you have to be strict with yourself and go i have to make this much an hour yeah it has to cover that otherwise you're you are effectively doing it for charity exactly yeah and that's the thing i've have had a few people sort of say well if i if i you know commission you to say do three or four cars can i get it you know big chunky discount so well, i can give you a little bit of a discount because you're ordering a few but it's not going to take me any less time because yeah. you've ordered four of them than it is if i got four separate customers kind of thing yeah and um, i guess from your perspective you're 
your potential to not necessarily your potential to grow, but your limiting factor is time. Yeah. Like for me, because I only have to do one and then it goes out on several orders and things like that. Yeah. I've got a more exponential open endedness to it. Yeah. I guess for you, obviously there will be a point where if things grow as I hope they do, you're going to have to start leaning a little bit more into selling prints yeah. that exist. Yeah. Because you're only going to be able to do one bespoke a day, and that therefore limits you to, say, 20 a month. Exactly, yeah. And you've, you've got a ceiling. So either your prices per bespoke one go get more, yeah. or you have to then go, right, you need to, I need to sell more of these already drawn things. Exactly. So like, I, I bet that's a thing that you're constantly trying to juggle. Yeah, and it's kind of what, you know, so the thing that goes into a, st- a standard print is virtually like having a commission. Mm. You know, they are a bit a bit simpler because generally they're a front front end drawing rather than a three quarter view from a standard prints. Mm. And because I've done a fair few of them now, I'm getting quicker at doing them. Yeah, but there's still a minimum of like eight hours of drawing that goes into a standard print. So it's like eight hours of drawing of that, or that's eight hours towards a commission. That print. I could never sell any of them. I could put it up online and no one buys it. Yeah. Gets a few likes here, there or whatever, but no one actually then purchases it. But at the same token, I could spend that eight hours doing that and then they sell loads of prints. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those sort of unknown things. Whereas those eight hours towards a commission is finite. I know that that's towards X amount of money that that commission's done. So it's easier to justify spending the eight hours on the commission because I know that someone's already paid for that piece of time and they're yeah, going to yeah. get it out of it. So that's that's the sort of thing it's and it's and I think with the whole social media presence is that you kind of feel the pressure that I need to post regularly. I've got to keep churning. I stuff need to out. churn yeah. stuff out because no one wants to see the same drawing over and over again. But also I can't produce a new drawing every single day. So yeah. I haven't got brand new content to then put out and it's kind of keeping in people interested in what I'm doing. Yeah enough that they actually want to see sort of behind the scenes things or this is being printed or this is being drawn and tweaked and it's yeah of it's course. that kind of pressure it's it's a real juggling act like all the time yeah especially when you factor in things like social media like one big challenge that i have is because i'm trying to build this brand i have to factor in the podcast trying to do some video stuff when i go to events yeah creating the designs managing like orders when they rarely come through um <laughs> but it, you have this whole juggling act of right i need all of this stuff happens where nobody sees it and yeah. they see this tiny little instagram post and or that's a, it a facebook post or yeah. a, a tweet or whatever and it's like oh you are still doing something You're like yes all of this well, stuff, stuff yeah <laughs> it takes so much time and exactly. energy you just see the little tiny and bit of it you yeah. get this tiny little snapshot please like what i do so that i can continue doing, continue doing it, it exactly yeah um and it's wild and annoyingly the things that are most fun make the least money definitely yeah. like they have the higher potential for making connections and opportunities and things yeah. but you can't just go to shows like you can't just go and meet people at shows because no. you then run out of money very quickly very very quickly yeah um, and it is the 12 hours designing or it is the 8 hours editing a tiny little video or yeah. creating social media content and stuff like that that ultimately keep things happening but are the slow burn yeah that you have to go through um, and that's it it's it's just that keeping that constant isn't it i think the, you know 
you you run a battle against the algorithms and social media and all the rest of it, but also against your set your, your own head yeah. and your mind because you're always going, oh, is that post going to be good enough? Is that does that look like this? Oh, actually, that drawing's not not as good as my last one. Or does people like it? Yeah, that that kind of thing. And I think you're always in that sort of, or certainly I say you, me. I'm always in that sort of cycle of sort of self doubt, and I think that sort of natural creative sort of self-doubt of going oh it's not good enough mm. oh wait a minute i posted this i could tweet simpler change yeah that change that oh yeah. i should have done that on it or i posted morning. something similar <laughs> yeah. last week and it got five likes and someone posted it similar to that like two weeks beforehand and it got like 500 likes what you know yeah and that, that's sort of always second guessing yourself i mean it's funny i recently posted a picture of Caffeine and Machine, the wall at Caffeine and Machine, because mm. I happened to be there the day that it got finished. Yeah. Took a picture, there was a Renault 5 Turbo sitting there outside it. What a photo opportunity. So I yeah, literally yeah. snapped a picture on my phone, stuck it on Instagram, said, what's better, the wall or the 5 Turbo? Literally, that's all I said, didn't it? That's my most popular post yeah, yeah. by a mile. Like compared to anything else I've ever posted, the things that take all the time to make. Yeah, like sat, was it when you were at I Love You Man? Yeah, it's the I Love You Man day. Was yeah. it technically finished? I was there the next day, and there was still painting on it. Oh, were they still, still doing more bits to it? up and doing bits on it. Oh, okay. Um, only tweaks and stuff. Right. Like, yeah, it, it was pretty much. Yeah, and lot that thing's got my most popular post by a mile. Like, my most popular post is a photo of Richard Rawlings stood in front of my Renault. Really? It just so <laughs> happened to happen. Was that, like, was that a petrol hedonism? Yeah, yeah. petrol hedonism, and we'd driven round to the front of Nebworth House to take photos of the car in front of it. Yeah. And as I was taking a photo of it, Richard Rawlings and his wife walked round the corner. <laughs> and because I am not in any way like shell shocked by celebrity or anything like that, and yeah. I don't watch Gas Monkey Gary, so I don't really care. Yeah. We got kind of oh hi, how's it going? Nice to meet you, this kind of thing. And his wife was like, this is really cute. I was like, you can have a seat in it if you want. And Richard was like, I don't, I don't think we should do that. I was like, that's fair enough. I was like, can I at least just take a photo of you in front of it to send to my mates because it's quite a, a cool photo. And he was like, yeah, sure. And he'd spent the whole day being a celebrity in front of a load of people. Yeah. And he had no right to know who I was or that I wasn't there in that capacity. I was there because I knew Churo who created yeah. it and I was milling around with him in the bar like an hour before yeah in the little VIP area kind of thing um I took that photo put it up and like nearly 2,000 likes or whatever it is on it it's like my most engaged with post I was like oh. and I put the same I had a photo of Shane Lynch from Boyzone yep same sat on the Renault this and the other and that was hilarious because I bumped into him not near the stand and I said oh if you happen to go over there would you ask my partner just to take a photo of you with the Renault? I'm trying to get as many people that I can yep. that are interested. And he walked up to Grace and went, your other half says you need to take a photo of me in front of your car. And she was like, <laughs> what? He was like, that's what he told me. And that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> so I've got this photo of Shane Lynch sat on the bonnet of this Renault. And Shane Lynch is like covered in tattoos. He's got yeah. the monster cap. And this is like, yeah. and like nothing. Really? Yeah, like very, like in comparison, hardly anything. Hardly anything at all, yeah. It was so strange. Yeah. Um, and it's it's weird just what takes off and what doesn't. Like, yeah. Well, the thing now is like TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff like that. Yeah. And I put a video of, it was when we were at Carnata. Yeah. It was a Volvo Amazon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Maguire's one. one, yeah. Just reversing out and then driving off. Yeah. 140,000 views on TikTok. <laughs> 
140,000. I put a video of the Viper ACR GTSR that was at Coffees and Cars. Yeah. 200 views. Wow. The video Just... of Henry Catchpole wearing one of my t-shirts in Carfection, 8,000, yeah. which was quite a lot. Yeah. But a fucking Volvo reversing out of a car <laughs> park got 140,000 views. That's nuts, isn't it? The puppy is destroying his training pad he is, is he's, he okay he's just all he's basically saying is like you haven't given me enough attention now um i am still here i just want to make sure that we don't need to go and get him out of there before oh we'll let him out so he comes and choose something different rather than his <laughs> training pad yes we see you but uh, i wouldn't want uh, a puppy to be choking while we're recording he has now got paper all over Everywhere. his face come on you um, have some attention but uh, yeah, it's just it's absolutely mad what gets seen and what doesn't get seen and what people will like and what the algorithms will deem good enough. Worthy, and, yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely mad. And that's um, the game we just, well, we just got to play. Oh, it's a, an absolute pain in the arse. Um, but it's a, it's a double-edged sword because you could have something that explodes and there you've got a career out of it. Yeah. Like, there was a, a company that, when I worked for UPS, they were in our area. It wasn't my customer, it was the neighbouring person's customer. And they'd make dresses. Right. A small team in Sussex. And uh, I was chatting to them. He said, yeah, we're doing all right. And then Kim Kardashian wore one of our dresses, and now we have a whole business out of it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's all it took. Yeah. Um, and it, it's wild how like this influencer world works. Yeah. And it, it does work, which is annoying. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> um, when Henry wore that T-shirt for the Carfection video, yeah. The next day, my website traffic went the highest it's ever been. Really? Yeah. Just from him wearing that T-shirt. Just from in him video. wearing that T-shirt in that video. Wow. Not. It wasn't like he was like, "Here, look at this." Yeah. He's literally just, <laughs> just wearing, wearing it, it and driving that car, <laughs> and my website traffic like tripled. Wow. So I'd, I need to be like, Henry, can I just send you a T-shirt of the month because <laughs> they have a different logo every time. <laughs> you just just subtly just, wear. It. Yeah, just wear it every month instead. <laughs> but uh, Carfection aren't. Uh, an advertising thing they're not a corporate it's not their thing um, yeah. and it would just be a, a favour for a, a pal <laughs> to try and sweet talk him into doing it um, but yeah it's mad it's absolutely mad how that world works yeah so what is the direction that we can expect for you <laughs> for the rest well, just going forward basically yeah I think um, I think just more sort of variety in the work in that I want to do some bigger pieces and more sort of sculptural or mixed media kind of pieces yeah um and get into doing more one-off bespoke things um I've had a few inquiries for some people who have got you know big car collections and things that want some bespoke art making for their sort of car barns and things oh, amazing which is really cool and really cool opportunity and certainly something I never saw myself having sort of thing. And I, I, it's still weird to think of myself as an artist, to be perfectly honest, because I'm just a guy who draws cars. Yeah, yeah. That I like drawing cars, and, and that's it. Um, it's, yeah, and I suppose professionally, I would never have considered myself an artist. Or even, you know, I'm still still on my master's. I'm an illustrator. I don't even consider myself a professional illustrator. This thing is kind of just <laughs> taken off. Um, so you're still doing your doing it. Then? Yeah, I'm still doing my master's, yeah. I'm doing a master's illustration part time, so I've got another like, eighteen months on that. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, about eighteen months I think it is left on it. So well, that must add some pressure into everything that you're doing because yeah, you are which, effectively doing this full time, and you're doing your masters, and you've got a family. And a, 
dog and yeah it's it's good i think a bit like you with the what we were saying earlier about the sort of like last minute deadline thing um the the car thing came out of me sort of seeking to ease the pressure from the studies and stuff and not concentrating on doing dissertations and and mm. work so i'll just give myself a break and draw some cars and it's kind of grown out of that but it still is i still find it therapeutic yeah so it still is a bit of a release so i'll carry on doing it as long as it carries on being that mm. and when it doesn't it when it no longer be, you know is that sort of therapeutic side of things and obviously there are stresses and trying to make ends meet and money and that sort of stuff. But generally I still enjoy just getting onto my iPad and, and yeah. drawing for a while. And if, as and when that changes, then I will change what I do. Um, I've always been one of these people that I've never done the same thing for very long. Yeah, um, I'm the same. I'm about to go into a marketing job. I've never done a marketing job. I built a brand and I've used that as leverage into a marketing job. Yeah. And it's... I changed jobs two years ago and I changed jobs two, two, two years, years before that yeah and, t- and so that's very similar to me so two years is about what I sort of seem to sort of flop with you know I'm 39 now and now I'm decided that I'm now an illustrator or an artist yeah, you know, yeah. these sort of thing in all and fairness I think Tacona is the thing I've been doing the longest and that's only been two and a half years <laughs> <laughs> but that's good though because it, and it's it's building and it's it's sort of organically building as well because it's you Mm. And you add the brand, and that's what comes across, I think, with Tacona, is that it is you, and you fully believe in it, and I think that comes across. So, Well, I, I think that was the mistake I made when I started, is that I tried to position it as not that. I tried to be like, we are a brand, and we are this. And, we are. and yeah. the more I've engaged, the more it's actually gone to, oh, this guy's doing this thing, yeah. and he believes in it, yeah. and therefore that's why it exists, rather than this brand exists. Well, I think that's... So we, I think I'm right in saying that we got in contact, or I got in contact with you, like slid into your DMs and all that. Um, <laughs> when I lived in Brighton, were you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, after hearing you on the Driven Chat podcast, I think. Possibly, yeah. Something like that. I'd heard. Which was only you. the start of this year. Yeah. I'd literally heard that, and it's like, this guy sounds like the sort of guy I want to sort of be involved with we have similar sort of things with mental health and stuff Mm. um i've suffered with depression i think officially for probably a decade now right um and i think probably unofficially probably double that yeah um but it's something that i've gone through various i suppose episodes of but then also have been quite vocal locally and on like my own personal facebook page and stuff over the years of trying to sort of do my bit to promote conversation and support men's mental health. And um, I ran a marathon and ultra marathon for calm a few Jesus. years ago and stuff like that uh, to do my bit to try and yeah, yeah, spread yeah. the word and that kind of thing. Um, and I talk to my three daughters about mental health all the time and they know that I take medication for mental health and stuff, even though they're only young. And we have, I'm very much it's a normal an part advocate of life. exactly for sort of keeping this as an open sort of, open dialect with it all um, and trying to encourage you know anybody to actually chat about how they're actually feeling yeah and that no way that they're feeling is the wrong way to feel it's a genuine feeling you're allowed to feel however you're feeling it's just how we express that and how we deal with those things to move on and I think becoming a dad definitely helped me deal with those feelings and sort of acknowledge that that's how I was feeling and I was allowed to feel that way and it's just about how we deal with it yeah and I think yeah listening to you on that podcast for the first time I'd again 
I hadn't heard of you or knew anything about Tacona or anything before that. And I think I'd then, yeah, message you saying, I've just heard this. I've had plenty of tough times going through one now. And I just sort of wanted to say thanks that you're sort of reaching out to people and, and it sort of resonated. And I think, I don't know, I'm very good at sort of saying those things behind closed doors and yeah, via yeah. DM, but not very necessarily publicly. Um, even though I very much encourage other people to. Well, that's the thing. It's 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 difficult to overcome the vulnerability of being public about things. Yep. Like, despite doing this and despite being the guy that's trying to get as many people to talk a bit more as I can, I still am the like I I talk. But my initial reaction to dealing with stress is to shut down. Withdraw, yeah. Right, I'm going to be quiet while I try and figure out what's going on. Yeah. I'm going to lock myself in a room and draw for a bit, or I'm going to go yeah. for a drive or a walk. Yeah. And I'm just going to, I'll, I'll shut right the way down to try and process and figure out what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, how do I deal with this situation, and then I'll talk. Yeah. But my initial response isn't to go, I feel like shit. No. It's always... Right, let's shut it down yep. while we figure out what's happening. Because even though I do what I do and I've I worked in the hospitals and Grace is a psychologist and I have all of these tools and resources, yeah, it's still very difficult to identify feelings very much like, so, properly. Yeah. yeah. And it still takes a bit of time to go, right, I feel like this I feel like this because of that. These emotions are what I'm going through. Yep. I need to not just be reacting. Because my initial reacting is always aggressive. Not in a, I'm going to fight someone, but it's always like, I'm sure, I'm full of adrenaline. I'm always like, right, this is shit, that's it. I've got to get this sorted, that sorted. It's never to like cry. I'm always into that fight or flight immediately. And it's taking that. And I, the reason I shut down, I think, is because I'm aware that that's how I get. Yeah, so, so it's you're better kind for me to pre- just be quiet. Almost protective kind of thing. Yeah, and then I'm not going to cause damage. Yeah. I'm not going to upset anyone by being short and snappy. I'll, I'll, just, I'll be quiet yeah. while I figure it out, and then I can approach you when I have grown up a little bit and gone, right, this, this is what is, I'm feeling. Yeah. And if that's the case for me, despite everything that I've done and I do and I know and everyone that I've got around me, yeah. for blokes that haven't got any sort of, like tools to deal with things or in an are in an environment where it's not okay to like yeah seem weak or to exactly, share vulnerability yeah. it must be absolute hell yeah and to have more conversations happening and to be more public about no it's okay like you don't have to be big strong bloke no takes everything on the chin and keeps going it's all right to go i need some time or i'm feeling vulnerable or i'm feeling like crap or that's actually affecting me. Yeah. And it takes some real strength, if anything, to do that. Yeah. I think we're so good at blocking it out. Yeah. So the first part is recognising it yourself. And that's almost difficult because I know, you know, I'm quite inexperienced with uh, my own mental health and stuff. And I have, yeah, like you said, you know, I've got a lot of tools and a toolkit to to work out what's going on. And I know the things I should and shouldn't be doing. And I know what's yeah. good for me and what isn't good for me. But I still find myself... Leaning on things like alcohol, you know, I'm feeling rubbish. Oh, I'll have a beer. Yeah, that'll make me feel better at the end of the day and stuff like that. Knowing full well that actually it achieves the opposite. It's a depressive. It's it? a depressive, but I'll still use that as a crutch to lean on, kind of thing. Yeah. Even though I know full well it 
isn't and then you know then that's not helping and, and then, then you feel guilty then you feel guilty yeah. about it and then it's just a cycle about well actually I'm feeling this way because I haven't helped myself and I've been doing all these things and it's it's kind of sometimes you just need someone else to sort of say no stop you're beating yourself up over this yeah you're yeah. doing your absolute best yes that wasn't the best decision but it also wasn't the worst decision you can carry on from this and yeah, let's yeah. just take a step back and sort of do these things and I think sometimes it's more difficult, not more difficult, it's as difficult for our partners and loved ones to see us going through these things that don't necessarily know how to yeah. deal with it um, or haven't had it to deal with it directly themselves. They're just dealing from a partner's point of view and stuff. And I feel sorry for my other half quite a lot <laughs> that has to put up with me yeah, yeah. and going through these things because I can't always articulate what's actually going on in my head. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's always there to pick up the pieces and kind of help me through these things. Yeah, well, we're both very lucky to have other halves that are in the position and are, that do that. Yeah. Like, it would be very easy and somewhat justified for someone to go, I'm also dealing with shit. Yeah. You need to deal with you your, deal your shit, shit while I deal with our shit. Exactly, yeah. It's like, wait a minute, you're not the only one with shit going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think it, again, adds to not everybody has that. No. Um and there, there are a lot of services out there that exist, especially if you need to talk to someone or if you need to just go, I feel like this, I need to just not have this bottled inside me. Yeah. And, and I, I think, think there's a lot of people that need those things that don't feel like they can engage with those things. And I think that's the, the, the whole... So I originally I said I did some work for Calm. Mm. I came across Calm because I used one of their services. I used their... their their, their like call line thing and then I've, I've used I've, I've phoned their their sort of their line a few times and um, when I've been sort of you know, on the edge and things and they you know they've talked me through things and been really really good yeah um, which is why I then you know wanted to raise some money for them and sort of well, that's sort what of I do back and stuff ten percent of profits to calm to calm I as think well. they're a really good one yeah and I think they're going about it the right way in terms of like they work with like Dave the channel and stuff. exactly and they're, yeah they're making it more normal part of culture. Very much so. Um, which I wholeheartedly agree with, which is why I do the things that I do in the way that I do them, is yeah. to make it more normal part of life, yeah. rather than, oh, look how great this is. Like, no, it's just it's part of life. Yes, yeah, this is it, exactly. This is, this is part of everyday kind of thing. This yeah. is, people are going through this all the time. This is not anything special. This is very it's much just normal. normal. Yeah. And yeah, I think the calm people that, I think from my point of view, they just came across as just, they genuinely cared. Mm. Like, they didn't know who I was on the end of the phone. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who they were on the other end of the phone. But they genuinely gave a shit that I was still there and still alive and still talking and stuff. And, and when I got the chance to go down to Calm Head Office and meet them all and everything before I did my fundraising stuff for them, they're, like, genuinely the loveliest people, just, yeah. like, really passionate about what they do and actually care. Um and yes, they've got quite a few sort of like celebrity endorsements and things going on, but they weren't ahead of themselves at all. They were just very much, we are normal people that care. Mm. And they'd all had their own sort of, you know, reasons of wanting to be involved in things. And even down to like, I can't think of the guy's name, the guy who runs it, the, the sort of chairman of it, he's had his own sort of, you know, issues with depression and things. And they were sort of leading by example and his own experiences. And I think that just yeah. comes across with people like that. Um, and I know there's now a lot more mental health charities out there and it is becoming more talked about or people are saying it's good to talk and that kind of thing. Yeah. Which is really, really good and normalising it. But I think sometimes 
the whole, oh, it's good to talk, and that can sometimes belittle what people are going through as well. Yeah, yeah. It sometimes can devalue it, and you go, oh, I suffer with depression. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a bit depressed today too. And it's like, well, actually, no, we, I can't we get all out have of bed. You're yeah. just feeling like, like there's yeah, different levels. Ups and downs, and people can be low, and feeling depressed on one day is absolutely normal, and having highs and lows throughout your life and throughout your day and is absolutely a perfectly normal part of life. And yet, yeah, having depression is obviously a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there's almost that sort of danger of we're talking more about depression in a word. But are we similar with anxiety? There's a difference between feeling anxious and having anxiety. Exactly, yeah. Like we all feel anxious about things. That's perfectly normal. Yeah. Like that's that's an everyday sort of thing, you know, regular emotion that we should be feeling towards things. That's perfectly logical. Yeah. But actually, having anxiety is a debilitating thing. Like, and there isn't rationale behind it. That's the whole point of it. It isn't because if it was rational, you could talk yourself out of it. Yeah. And I often think that about depression. It's like, why are you feeling low? It's like, well, if I knew that. And it was logical I'm feeling low about these I probably things. Wouldn't be feeling I like wouldn't it. be feeling like it, or yeah, I could yeah. find an easy way of talking myself back out of it. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the issues is that we are talking more about depression, but I'm not sure necessarily there's that much more understanding of it. Yeah, it's almost being watered down to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, and I don't. It's brilliant that more people are talking about it, and I think it's far more acceptable for people to have conversations about it which is a brilliant brilliant thing i just think yeah we need to be careful that we're not diluting it and actually still treating it as a, you know the sort of actual medical actual thing. medical thing that it is yeah, rather yeah. than just sort of belittling it and going oh, i'm feeling a bit rubbish today did that resonate with you did you like that arlo yeah. it suddenly <laughs> popped up For the last 20 minutes the dog has been attacking terry's hand <laughs> yeah i haven't got he's much got hand a, left he's got a toy that terry's trying to get him to chew on and every time he gives it to him he lets go and just bites just on the hand. my hand yes and then all of a sudden he stopped his ears perked <laughs> up and he realized that i existed again <laughs> um, but uh yeah, if you can hear chomping, it's totally yeah. Sorry, dog yeah. Apologies. It's it's, it's not me just chewing on things. It is the dog. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is something that it's great that people acknowledge the existence of. Yeah. There's also a, we need to be careful not to devalue the the more extreme end of it. Yeah. And the actual diagnosed depression. Yes. There's feeling depressed is probably the reason that that's happening. Is that statement. Yep. Not, oh, I'm feeling low or I'm feeling run down. And it's that it. I'm feeling depressed. It's like, yeah. I get what you mean. But yeah. That's not really what you're feeling yeah. in the technical term. Yeah. You're feeling low. You've yeah. got low energy or that kind of thing. Yeah, you're sort of you know, burnt out and that kind of stuff, yeah, which is all part of a bit of different to life. clinical depression, yeah. which is a lot more severe. Um, and having worked in the environments with a lot of these in their most severe forms, you yeah. kind of go, all right, have you tried running into a wall today? No, maybe calm it down a yeah, little bit. Like yeah. Someone who's really depressed and wants that pain to stop, stop will do those things. Yeah. Whereas someone that's feeling depressed will have a, a low day and it's justified and it's normal. Yeah. But tomorrow you'll probably be a little bit, a little bit better. Or yeah. you'll, you'll have a cup of coffee and it'll help a little bit. Or yeah. you'll go for a walk and it'll... And suddenly... Because there's always that, like, oh, bad. have you tried going outside? It's like... Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the cure for depression. Yeah. That's yeah. the helps you when you're feeling feeling low. a bit low. Yeah, and you know they're all good things. You know, I and I, you know, exercise helps me massively, which is why I ended up running marathon and things like that. Yeah, it's like because I can't that, run to save my life. That became a thing for me, and I couldn't honestly. I my I no, I've not. You you know, ask any of my like, schoolmates and something like the, the idea of me doing athletics or anything sporty. <laughs> you know, it was just not a thing. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, then I, it, it suddenly, it was a thing. I think they did, the BBC did a documentary called Mind Over Marathon. Right. I can't remember how many years the ago it was. The ultimate version of Couch to 5K. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was basically that. It was, and Calm were part of it. And it was like, let's take six ordinary people who, who suffer with depression. We all know that exercise is meant to be good for us, but let's document it, them, their sort of struggles. And I think it started off with maybe eight or ten people and only six got through to actually doing the London Marathon out of it. But that kind of made me think, well, actually, yeah, let's give it a go. Mm. And I went out, and it, I know it sounds one of these things like, I changed my life. But I went out the next morning and attempted to run 5K. Which is harder than you think if you don't run. It, <laughs> I think I ran about 500 metres of the 5K yeah. and walked the rest because I just couldn't. Like, I had no I fitness or anything like that. 3K recently. And I was like, <gasps> okie dokie. Yeah. But I, I did the loop. I finished the loop without stopping. And yeah. that was my real achievement. That was your achievement, yeah. getting to that bit. And I, yeah, I think so my, it'd be on my Strava and that somewhere, is that so my first 5K that morning, the first ever 5K I'd done, took me like an hour yeah. to do a 5K. And I was like, oh. Yeah, doing this for several hours, getting around a marathon, that's going to be damn difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, if I don't sign up to it, I won't do it. I'll yeah, talk myself out. So I literally applied that day to Calm to get a marathon place and managed to get one. Um, so I was like, I've got to do it now. And I had, I think it was about, it was about 12 months, I right. think, before the actual marathon. So I was like, right, I've got a year to go from, can't run anywhere to be able to get around a marathon. Jeez. Yeah. And yeah, it, that 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 sort of just having that focus and training and I'd just gone through kind of stereotypical midlife crisis I'd had like a meltdown in my sort of work life and had to sort of leave that for you know for health reasons and stuff and I was like right this is going to be my positive focus to go on and and yeah and then had my three daughters at the finish line of Brighton Marathon to to see me across it and that like that is what six six years ago now right um, but that still sticks in my head like it was yesterday. Kind yeah, of thing. That, yeah, that sort of moment. That's was, amazing. Was was brilliant. But it, it really kind of pulled you into the accountability of you've got to get it done. And that's and that the, helped. the accountability. Yeah, that, yeah. that was a completely. I wasn't accountable to myself because I can I can you can just fob, fob yeah. myself off easily. It was that I've now told people publicly that I'm doing it, and people have paid money. People have sponsored me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a responsibility. I can't now just go. Oh, I really can't be bothered. I can't do this. Oh, I can't get out of bed today to, 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 to go and do this training run. I need to just do something else instead. Mm. It was like, well, these people have put their faith in me and money, like hard-earned money yeah, into yeah. To sponsoring me. Um, I've got to do this. Yeah. Um, and that, that made a huge, huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Like I, um, I used to do jiu-jitsu and bits of mixed martial arts. I'd never done that before. And that, when I moved to Brighton, I was like, I need to make some friends. Right, yeah. And I've always kind of liked the idea, and I'd heard it's good for, like, you connect with people, and yep. it's good for discipline, and it's good for fitness. I was like, might as well go and give it a go. Yeah. And I really, really fell into doing that. Oh, phone's gone, glasses gone, everything's <laughs> gone, puppy life. Yeah. Um, but again, that was a, a thing where it was like, I didn't really know what to expect, and I got into it, and I really got into it, and yep. then I made friends out of it, and yep. then... When that stopped for about six months, I had so much like pent up, not like aggression, but like yeah. I didn't have that release anymore. Yeah. And it, I really struggled with it. And we were chatting, Grace and I were chatting the other day because I nearly got in a fight in traffic by this absolute like roided oh. that had dived out in front of the car, 
then tried to brake check me a few times, yeah. and then throwing Pepsi out the window over the back of the car. I was in Grace's car, I wasn't in in the Toyota, otherwise I'd have probably got out. Yeah. And we got to this set of lights. I managed to get past him, which he tried to swerve into me when I did. Jesus Christ. Got to this set of lights, and he got out, came screaming over at the window, like he was going to try and punch me while I was sat in the car, and I just kept putting my arm up in the window so he couldn't. Yeah. And I was talking to Grace, she went, you've not had anything like that for a while. And she's like, good on you for not getting out of the car, first of all, because you are Mr. There's a confrontation, I need to sort it out. Yeah. And she's like, how did you keep yourself calm? I was like, I don't know. She's like, because I remember you saying, when you'd stopped training, because I was doing four hours a day. Wow, okay. I, so that, really, I really fell into, into it. it. Yeah. Like, I was like, I'll just do this class, and then I'll just do this one, <laughs> and then I'll just do this. And then it was like, right, four hours. Um, she, she said, like, I remember when you said after you had to stop because of the lockdown and when we moved away from Brighton, she's like, you were tense all the time. Yeah. And you were ready for a fight all Just the time. Just on edge kind of thing. Just like ready to get all of that testosterone that you were like using to do that in a positive way then had nowhere to go. And she was like, you were just tense constantly. And that really contributed to like a really low period that I was going through because yeah. I was feeling tense all the time, had no, no healthy for release it, yeah. for it, and thing, other difficulties were happening. And it's surprising how much it helps just to be able to go for an hour and lift heavy things or run or like whatever it is that you do. Yeah. And to have something that forces you to do that is really helpful. Like yeah. currently I'm not registered to any gyms or anything. Yeah. I'm like, oh, if I pay money, I probably will go. Exactly, yeah. and it kind of forces you to, to do it because you've well, well, spent this money now. I need to yeah. justify that cost. Yeah, and money's not easy to come by at the minute. No. so it's it's a real kind of you have to invest in yourself kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm the same with running now. Like I know I'll feel much better, you know, for doing running. I haven't run for ages. Like through lockdown, I did. I was still running and stuff, but then I tweaked my ankle, so then stopped running for a while, and then just kind of haven't been back since. And it's kind of there's no accountability. It's only me, so yeah. it's easy for me not to go for a run. Yeah, like I am um, an avid, like, don't have your phone in bed, read and yeah. get up with an alarm clock. And I regularly struggle to do that. Yeah. It's, I'm very much a practice, do as I say. <laughs> as I say, not of, as I do. Yeah, because I've got no accountability. <laughs> exactly. And then Grace would be like, oh, I thought you were going to leave your phone. I'm like, yeah, it'd be all right. <laughs> She's like, no, no, put your phone down. I'm like, no, it'd be okay. And I'm like, I just need to go to the toilet. And then I'll sit down for half an hour. Oh, no, on just exactly, on your phone, yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's tough. And it's really tough. Yeah. And it is that self-discipline. Yeah. And it's constant as well, because as soon as you let yourself off for that one thing, that then becomes an excuse and it's just, you then, well, actually, oh, I didn't do it because of that. And no, actually, I'm not now going to do it because of that. Yeah. Stop on my watch strap, you. (laughs) Um, And it is okay. And that's the thing. Yeah. You can't, like all these people that look at, all these millionaires that I get put four every day and I go to the gym yeah, and then I go to work and this, and they're like, oh, that's what I have to do. Yeah. And they try it for a week and like, oh my God, this is so hard. And then they feel guilty for not for doing, not doing it. Yeah. That's okay. You don't have to live that life now. And if the rock is getting up at four, it's because he's earning 10 million pounds to be <laughs> yeah, the rock. To be that, exactly. Yeah. He has to look like that. So he therefore has the intrinsic motivator that he needs to have that lifestyle. Otherwise he doesn't get the millions and millions of pounds that he's earned. Exactly. So that, that that's quite an easy sort of thing to go, well, this is why that's he's doing it. That's his job, is to get up at yeah. four o'clock in the morning and go and lift heavy things for an hour. Which, to eat eight million calories. <laughs> Which, you know, we don't get paid to do. No. Or even 
remotely that sort of thing. I get but paid also, if, if someone buys different... a t-shirt, that's the only thing that... <laughs> exactly, and I get paid if someone buys a bit of my artwork or wants me to draw some of their artwork and yeah. things. And it's that. It's... But also, you only get the snapshot social media version of that life. There's yeah. definitely days where The Rock doesn't want to get up and at four in the morning and eat his millions of calories and all the rest of it. And no, no, I imagine there's like days where he doesn't want to speak to another person on the planet because yeah. he's the most popular man in the universe. Exactly. I imagine he'll have days where he's like, I just want to shut everything down yeah. and stay want, in bed and eat a load of crap. I just want to be a normal person for a change rather than being The Rock or a celebrity yeah. or this, that and the other. Like, know? I was at, we were at the Scramble on Sunday and I bumped into Henry, uh, Harry Metcalf. Yep. And I knew where his car was. I was like, I'll go over there so I can just say, how is the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. For like podcast Podcasts guests, something like that. Yeah. And as I was approaching, he was about to leave. I was like, right, I'll just quickly go, how can I send you a message? Like, yeah. What's going to get seen? Seen by or, you. Yeah. Or replied to. As I was walking over, this couple walked over. Oh my God, Harry. Oh, we watch all of your shows. We watch every episode. Can we have a <laughs> selfie? I was like, the poor guy just wants to come and look. He was stood chatting to someone with an alpha. Looking at their engine, yeah, he's like the poor guy just wants to enjoy cars. Yeah, give him five minutes. Just break. let him, let him just. So then I chill, had to follow yeah. up this couple that had just hounded him, going, "Harry, how do I contact you professionally from an actual perspective, not just because I like what you do?" <laughs> yeah. Like I just said, I run a podcast, an automated podcast. How do I get in touch properly? And he was like, "Send me a message on whatever." Yeah, um, and I was like, "It's poor guy. He's like, he's not a young guy. No, he's not." And he's now, because he's done some stuff on YouTube and he is who he is, he's now getting hounded by strangers in a car park <laughs> for photos with him. And bless him, he was, he was very kind. Yeah. And those people are effectively how he's paying his bills. Is exactly, yeah. He needs viewers, so it comes yeah. part and parcel. Um, but it, it, there must be days where he's like, I just, I don't want this. Yeah, just and let me be a person rather than... Harry yeah, Metcalf personally. And that's probably bit, why yeah. the Tire Kicker Club exists, because they are, it's not a public thing. Yeah. It's a certain group of people that um, are well-known, and yeah. they all go out, and you only find out that they've been anywhere is when it, they it, post about and it. Exactly, and it's in retrospect, it's already happened. You can't then suddenly so you appear can't at get these mobbed things. or anything like yeah. that. And I think it's, it's something I'm very conscious of as I get a little bit more well-known. Yeah. And because a lot of what I do is personality driven and I'm more and more in the public eye as it grows can you yeah. stop chewing on my shorts please mate I'm going to look like <laughs> I've wet myself um, it's something I'm very conscious to be aware of the pitfalls of that you can't chew this watch this was a birthday present um, and it's an interesting world to be in some way involved in and a, an interesting thing to have some exposure to Yeah, and the more that we get involved in the car world and the more well-known we are, the more likely it is that we're going to encounter these situations. And yeah. it's, it's an interesting dynamic to, is. to have engagement with. Um, fortunately, we're known for doing nice things, so we're not getting hounded. No, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting world to be getting more behind the curtain of yeah, and becoming more connected in. Well, I think, and especially with you, you know, yes... Tacona isn't your name, but you are Tacona. Yeah. And we're always saying, like, you are the brand and you very much represent the brand and you are it. So you are, you know, Tacona guy like you, you know, your Twitter handle, etc. You are that guy and you are the face of it, but you are it. And yes, I am illustrator maker, but I am just that guy that draws 
cars or whatever and it's kind of people know you for that's what you do yeah and you're not part of a big team it's not like oh like brand tacona is a squad of 50 people yeah, sitting yeah. there working behind the scenes and you're all out in t-shirts and stuff it is you yeah, yeah. so if at any stage you get any negativity it's they're saying towards you and the well, same I've, for I me i had that recently um i put a, a photo up of a rolls royce in essex bright right. red and it said fats on the number plate and it's right. a well-known car it was a guy off the apprentice and all this, and right okay and i said there's a lot to take in here just effect not saying anything negative, negative directly just, just like, saying wow yeah. there's a lot to take it's in here rolls royce with that number yeah, plate on yeah. it and all the rest of it and yeah. someone gave me some real shit on the comments really? Like, really gave me some shit and then they're like i can't believe henry catchpole is associated with this brand trying to criticize someone blah blah blah, blah. and wow. i replied saying you know i'm just a guy right it's all just me i'm one person Doing all of this, I'm just a guy. Yeah. There's bigger things to worry about than me calling a flash car a flash car. Yeah. And the guy didn't reply. I was like, I think that technically means I win this argument. Wow. But what a dick move to go. Yeah. You can't say that a roll, a bright red Rolls Royce, Royce with fats on the number plate yeah, outside is, is a little bit flash. Yeah, it's a flash car. <laughs> yeah. I can't. And then trying to bring in people think, that are connected, like known for and tarnished reputations and stuff. Wow. I was like, you absolute dick. I hope I never meet you in person yeah, because I'm a lot more intimidating if you piss me <laughs> off in real life. I just like why people feel they've got the right to do stuff like that. And I get, you know, it's, we put stuff out it's there the publicly and, and that's, yeah. you know, and the, the, the keyboard warrior sort of thing. People feel they can, if you put something out publicly, then they can, you know, comment back or whatever. But just if, if that's how you feel about it, surely just pop a message into your, into your DM and say, look, I don't think you meant this necessarily, but this is how it came across in this sort of negative way and then you, you could clarify your position without any of that being public and needing yeah. to be sort of a sort of then become sort of, sort of slanging match which didn't need to happen in the first place yeah, yeah. but you, you still run the risk of they'll just screenshot the dms and post that anyway yeah true and then you're yeah. like well it's public either way isn't it yeah <laughs> but no it's, it's wild and it's an interesting world that we live in yeah um but we've hit an hour and a half now. Oh dear! And I <laughs> have definitely, we've definitely gone off on some really very interesting tangents. Weird tangents. Um, and I, I've, we've very much strayed away from the fact that you're Terry that draws cards, <laughs> which is quite nice. Um, yeah, sorry to anybody that actually listens to this. If yeah, it's not. They're like, oh, I wanted to know how to draw. Co- like, oh. Or any sort of cohesive <laughs> podcast. It's like, well, it's just just two blokes rambling on about random things now. Yeah, which is half the fun of it. But where can people find you? Um, so I am illustrator underscore maker on Instagram. Annoyingly on Twitter, I am illustrator make because it was one letter too short to have illustrator maker, which is really <laughs> annoying. Um, and on Facebook, I think it's just illustrator maker you find. But if you Google illustrator maker, you will find me across sort of social media and stuff. But yeah, there is illustratormaker.co.uk as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sitting and going on all these tangents with me. <laughs> no, I thank you. Appreciate it. And I appreciate that we've touched on quite a lot of mental health stuff as well, which is nice. Um, it helps to, to reinforce what we're doing. Yeah, um, I think it's, it, and from my point of view, it's almost, it's not like a therapy session, but it's good for me to, to continue to be positive and quite happy to talk about stuff like that. And I'm you know, always more than happy to, to sort of lend an ear if that helps people amazing. as well. Um, be mindful that if that happens and this becomes very popular, you might be the next <laughs> calm chat line. So, um, and that's one thing that I've been very conscious of is directing people to the right resources. Yes. Because I am one bloke. Yes. And because of the imagery that I've built around Tacona, it might not necessarily seem like that immediately. Yeah. So I'm very conscious of use the proper functions because A, 
I'm not the person that's qualified to do this. Yeah. I can give you a bit of help, but yeah. I'm not going to give you the proper help. You might as well go direct to the people that people who can do it properly and <laughs> yeah. do a good job of it. Um, so yeah, be mindful. <laughs> yes. If this gets heard by a hundred people and ten of them go, oh, chat up oh, to Terry, yeah. you're like, oh crap. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would always recommend going to the proper people because they are there for more than just suicide prevention. Very much which so. Which I think is yep. also something that needs a lot more awareness around is these services exist for normal conversation yep. when things need a bit more reassurance. Yeah, it's way before just you last just result. get to the last minute, exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, they exist as a last resort, but they are more than more just than that. More than that, definitely. And they should be used as such because they'd much rather help you on a down day that prevents things getting worse than they would yeah. to have to try and talk you down from that last situation. Very so much so, yeah. I think that's really worth a lot more clarification that if I were in their shoes, I'd rather go, that's okay, we can help you yeah. get through a down day than, oh no, please. Okay, please. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Do we need to get an ambulance involved or anything like that? You don't want it to be anywhere near that extreme. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We can be preventative in that case. Yeah. Um, but again, thank you so much for sitting and chatting. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to hit the stop record button now. Thank you.